0: CHAPTER Five OF THE PLAN OF SALVATION BY B. B. WARFIELD. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. CALVINISM As over against all attempts to conceive the operations of God looking to salvation universalistically, that is, as directed to mankind in the mass, Calvinism insists that the saving operations of God are directed in every case immediately to the individuals who are saved particularism in the processes of salvation becomes thus the mark of calvinism as supernaturalism is the mark of christianity at large and evangelicalism the mark of protestantism so particularism is the mark of calvinism the calvinist is he who holds with full consciousness that god the lord in his saving operations deals not generally with mankind at large but particularly with the individuals who are actually saved thus and thus only he contends can either the supernaturalism of salvation which is the mark of christianity at large and which ascribes all salvation to god or the immediacy of the operations of saving grace which is the mark of evangelicalism and which ascribes salvation to the direct working of god upon the soul come to its rights and have justice accorded it particularism in the saving processes he contends is already given in the supernaturalism of salvation and in the immediacy of the operations of the divine grace and the denial of particularism is constructively the denial also of the immediacy of saving grace that is of evangelicalism and of the supernaturalism of salvation that is of christianity itself it is logically the total rejection of christianity the particularism of the saving operations of god which is thus the mark of calvinism it is possible however to apply more or less fully or shall we say with more or less discernment in our thought of the activities of god relatively to his sinful creatures or shall we say broadly relatively to his creatures thus differing varieties of calvinism have emerged in the history of thought as they are distinguished from one another by the place they give to particularism in the operations of god That is as much as to say they are distinguished from one another by the place they give to the decree of election in the order of the divine decrees. Some are so zealous for particularism that they place discrimination at the root of all God's dealings with his creatures. That he has any creatures at all, they suppose to be in the interest of discrimination, and all that he decrees concerning his creatures, they suppose he decrees only that he may discriminate between them they therefore place the decree of election by which men are made to differ in the order of decrees logically prior to the decree of creation itself or at any rate prior to all that is decreed concerning man as man that is to say since man's history begins with the fall prior to the decree of the fall itself they are therefore called supralapsarians that is those who place the decree of election in the order of thought prior to the decree of the fall others, recognizing that election has to do specifically with salvation, that is to say, that it is the logical prius not of creation, or of the providential government of the world, but of the salvation of sinful man, conceive that the principle of particularism, in the sense of discrimination, belongs in the sphere of God's soteriological, not in that of his cosmological operations, and has its place not in creation, but in recreation. They therefore think of election as the logical prius not of creation or of the fall, but of those operations of God which concern salvation. The place they give it in the order of decrees is therefore at the head of those decrees of God which look to salvation. This implies that it falls into position in the order of thought, consequently upon the decrees of creation and the fall, which refer to all men alike, since all men certainly are created and certainly have fallen, and precedently to the decrees of redemption and its application, since just as certainly all men are not redeemed and brought into the enjoyment of salvation. They are from this circumstance called sublapsarians or infralapsarians, that is, those who, in the arrangement of the decrees in logical order, conceive the place of the decree of election to be logically after that of the fall. There are others, however, who, affected by what they deem the scriptural teaching concerning the universal reference of the redemption of Christ, and desirous of grounding the universal offer of salvation in an equally universal provision, conceive that they can safely postpone the introduction of the particularistic principle to a point within the saving operations of God themselves, so only they are careful to introduce it at a point sufficiently early to make it determinative of the actual issue of the saving work. They propose, therefore, to think of the provision of salvation in Christ as universal in its intent, but to represent it as given effect in its application to individuals by the Holy Spirit only particularistically. That is to say, they suppose that some, not all, of the divine operations looking to the salvation of men are universalistic in their reference, whereas salvation is not actually experienced unless not some but all of them are operative as the particular saving operation to which they ascribe a universalistic reference is the redemption of Christ. Their scheme is expressed by saying that it introduces the decree of election, in the order of thought, at a point subsequent to the decree of redemption in Christ. They may therefore be appropriately called post-redemptionists, that is, those who conceive that the decree of election is logically postponed to the decree of redemption, in their view, redemption has equal reference to all men, and it is only in the application of this redemption to men that God discriminates between men, and so acts in this sense particularistically. It is obvious that this is the lowest point in the order of decrees at which the decree of election can be introduced, and the particularistic principle be retained at all. If the application of the redemption of Christ by the Holy Spirit Be also made universalistic, that is to say, if the introduction of the particularistic principle be postponed to the actual issue of the saving process, then there is obviously no particularism at all in the divine operations looking to salvation. Election drops out of the scheme of the divine decrees altogether, unless we prefer to say, as it has been cynically phrased, that God is careful to elect to salvation only those who he foresees will, in the use of their own free will, elect themselves all calvinists must therefore be either supralapsarians or sub or infralapsarians or at least post-redemptionists which is also to be anti-applicationists nevertheless we do not reach in the post-redemptionists conceived purely from the point of view of this element of their thought the lowest possible or the lowest actual variety of calvinists post-redemptionists may differ among themselves if not in the position in the order of decrees of the decree of election for still further to depress its position in the order would be to desert the whole principle of particularism and to fall out of the category of calvinists yet in their mode of conceiving the nature of the work of the holy spirit in applying redemption under the government of the decree of election and as to the role of the human spirit in receiving redemption a party has always existed even among calvinists which has had so large an interest in the autonomy of the human will that it has been unwilling to conceive of it as passive with respect to that operation of god which we call regeneration and has earnestly wished to look upon the reception of salvation as in a true sense dependent on the will's unmoved action they have therefore invented a variety of calvinism which supposes that it is god indeed who selects those who shall savingly be brought to christ and that it is the holy spirit who by his grace brings them infallibly to christ thus preserving the principle of particularism in the application of salvation but which imagines that the holy spirit thus effectually brings them to christ not by an almighty creative action on their souls by which they are made new creatures functioning subsequently as such but purely by suasive operations adapted in his infallible wisdom to the precise state of mind and heart of those whom he has selected for salvation and so securing from their own free action a voluntary coming to christ and embracing of him for salvation there is no universalism here the particularism is express but an expedient has been found to enable it to be said that men come voluntarily to christ and are joined to him by a free act of their own unrenewed wills while only those come whom god has selected so to persuade to come he who knows the heart through and through that they certainly will come in the exercise of their own free will this type of thought has received the appropriate name of congruism because the principle of its contention is that grace wins those to whom it is congruously offered that is to say that the reason why some men are saved and some are not lies in the simple fact that god the holy spirit operates in his gracious suasion on some in a fashion that is carefully and infallibly adapted by him to secure their adhesion to the gospel and does not operate on others with the same careful adaptation a warning must however be added to the effect that the designation congruists is so ambiguous that there exists another class bearing this name who are as definitely anti-calvinistic as those we have in mind are by intention calvinistic in their conception the teaching of these is that god the holy spirit accords his suasive influences to all alike making no distinction but that this universalistically conceived grace of the holy spirit takes effect only according as it proves to be actually congruous or incongruous to the state of mind and heart of those to whom it equally is given. Here it is not the sovereign choice of God but a native difference in men which determines salvation, and we are on expressly autosoteric ground. The danger of confusing the Calvinistic congruists with this larger and definitely anti-Calvinistic party has led to the habit of speaking of the calvinistic congruists rather by the name of their most distinguished representative who indeed introduced this mode of thinking into the calvinistic churches claude pagin professor in the theological school at samour in france in the middle of the seventeenth century it was his predecessor and teacher in the same school moses amaraut who first formulated in the reformed churches the post redemptionist scheme of which paganism is a debased form. Thus the school of Samoa has the bad eminence of having originated and furnished from the names of its professors the current designations of the two most reduced forms of Calvinism, Amaraldianism, or hypothetical universalism, as it is otherwise called, and paganism or congruism, as it is designated according to its nature we have thus had brought before us four forms of calvinism and these as we believe exhaust the list of possible general types supralapsarianism sub or infralapsarianism post redemptionism otherwise called Amoralianism or hypothetical universalism and paganism, otherwise called congruism these are all forms of calvinism because they all give validity to the principle of particularism as ruling the divine dealings with man in the matter of salvation and as we have seen the mark of calvinism is particularism if now particularism were not only the mark of calvinism but also the substance of calvinism all four of these types of calvinism preserving as they all do the principle of particularism might claim to be not only alike calvinistic but equally calvinistic and might even demand to be arranged in the order of excellence according to the place accorded by each in its construction to the principle of particularism and the emphasis placed on it particularism however though the distinguishing mark of calvinism by which it may be identified as over against the other conceptions of the plan of salvation in comparison with which we have brought it does not constitute its substance and indeed although strenuously affirmed by calvinism is not affirmed by it altogether and solely for its own sake the most consistent embodiment of the principle of particularism is not therefore necessarily the best form of calvinism and the bare affirmation of the principle of particularism though it may constitute one so far a calvinist does not necessarily constitute one a good calvinist no one can be a calvinist who does not give validity to the principle of particularism in god's operations looking to the salvation of man but the principle of particularism must not be permitted as pharaoh's lean kind devoured all the fat cattle of egypt to swallow up all else that is rich and succulent and good in calvinism nor can the bare affirmation of particularism be accepted as an adequate calvinism post redemptionism therefore although it is a recognizable form of Calvinism because it gives real validity to the principle of particularism, is not therefore necessarily a good form of Calvinism, an acceptable form of Calvinism, or even a tenable form of Calvinism. For one thing, it is a logically inconsistent form of Calvinism, and therefore an unstable form of Calvinism for another and far more important thing it turns away from the substitutive atonement which is as precious to the calvinist as is his particularism and for the safeguarding of which indeed much of his zeal for particularism is due i say post redemptionism is logically inconsistent calvinism for how is it possible to contend that god gave his son to die for all men alike and equally and at the same time to declare that when he gave his son to die he already fully intended that his death should not avail for all men alike and equally but only for some which he would select which that is because he is god and there is no subsequence of time in his decrees he had already selected to be its beneficiaries by as much as god is god who knows all things which he intends from the beginning and all at once, and intends all things which he intends from the beginning and all at once, it is impossible to contend that God intends the gift of his Son for all men alike and equally, and at the same time intends that it shall not actually save all but only a select body which he himself provides for it the schematization of the order of decrees presented by the Amoraldians, in a word necessarily implies a chronological relation of precedence and subsequence among the decrees the assumption of which abolishes god and this can be escaped only by altering the nature of the atonement and therefore the nature of the atonement is altered by them and christianity is wounded at its very heart the Amoraldians point with pride to the purity of their confession of the doctrine of election and wish to focus attention upon it as constituting them good calvinists but the real hinge of their system turns on their altered doctrine of the atonement and here they strike at the very heart of calvinism a conditional substitution being an absurdity because the condition is no condition to god if you grant him even so much as the poor attribute of foreknowledge they necessarily turn away from a substitutive atonement altogether christ did not die in the sinner's stead it seems To bear his penalties and purchase for him eternal life, he died rather to make the salvation of sinners possible, to open the way of salvation to sinners, to remove all the obstacles in the way of the salvation of sinners. But what obstacle stands in the way of the salvation of sinners except just their sin? And if this obstacle, their sin, is removed, are they not saved? Some other obstacles must be invented, therefore, which Christ may be said to have removed, since he cannot be said to have removed the obstacle of sin, that some function may be left to him, and some kind of effect be attributed to his sacrificial death. He did not remove the obstacle of sin, for then all those for whom he died must be saved, and he cannot be allowed to have saved anyone. He removed then, let us say, all that prevented God from saving men, except sin, and so he prepared the way for God to step in, and with safety to his moral government, to save men. The atonement lays no foundation for this saving of men, it merely opens the way for God safely to save them on other grounds. We are now fairly on the basis of the governmental theory of the atonement, and this is, in very truth, the highest form of doctrine of atonement to which we can on these premises attain. In other words, all the substance of the atonement is evaporated, that it may be given a universal reference. And indeed we may at once recognize it as an unavoidable effect of universalizing the atonement that it is by that very act eviscerated. If it does nothing for any man that it does not do for all men, why then it is obvious that it saves no man, for clearly not all men are saved? The things that we have to choose between are an atonement of high value or an atonement of wide extension the two cannot go together. And this is the real objection of Calvinists to this compromise scheme which presents itself as an improvement on its system. It universalizes the atonement at the cost of its intrinsic value, and Calvinism demands a really substitutive atonement which actually saves. And as a really substitutive atonement which actually saves cannot be universal, because obviously all men are not saved, in the interests of the integrity of the atonement, it insists that particularism has entered into the saving process prior, in the order of thought, to the atonement. As bad Calvinism as is Amaraldianism, paganism is, of course, just that much worse, not content with destroying the whole substance of the atonement by virtue of which it is precious. Who loved me and gave himself up for me it proceeds to destroy also the whole substance of that regeneration and renovation by which in the creative work of the spirit we are made new creatures. Of what value is it that it should be confessed that it is God who determines who shall be saved, if the salvation that is wrought goes no deeper than what I can myself work, if I can only be persuaded to do it? Here there is lacking all provision not only for release from the guilt of sin, but also for relief from its corruption and power. There is no place left for any realizing sense of either guilt or corruption. There is no salvation offered from either the outraged wrath of a righteous God or the ingrained evil of our hearts. After all is over, we remain just what we were before. The prospect that is held out to us is nothing less than appalling. We are to remain to all eternity fundamentally just our old selves, with only such amelioration of our manners as we can be persuaded to accomplish for ourselves. The whole substance of Christianity is evaporated, and we are invited to recognize the shallow remainder as genuine Calvinism, because, forsooth, it safeguards the sovereignty of God. Let it be understood once for all that the completest recognition of the sovereignty of God does not suffice to make a good Calvinist. Otherwise we should have to recognize every Mohammedan as a good Calvinist, there can be no calvinism without a hearty confession of the sovereignty of god but the acknowledgment of the sovereignty of god of itself goes only a very little way toward real calvinism Pagin himself the author of calvinistic congruism advanced in his fundamental thought but little beyond a high variety of deism it seems particularly worthwhile to make these things explicit because there is perhaps nothing which more prejudices calvinism in the general mind than the current identification of it with an abstract doctrine of sovereignty without regard to the concrete interests which this sovereignty safeguards in point of fact the sovereignty of god for which calvinism stands is not only the necessary implicate of that particularism without which a truly religious relation between the soul and its god cannot exist but is equally the indispensable safeguard of that complementary universalism of redemption equally proclaimed in scripture in which the wideness of god's mercy comes to manifestation it must be borne well in mind that particularism and parsimony in salvation are not equivalent conceptions and it is a mere caricature of calvinistic particularism to represent it as finding its centre in the proclamation that there are few that are saved what particularism stands for in the calvinistic system is the immediate dealing of god with the individual soul what it sets itself against is the notion that in his saving processes God never comes directly into contact with the individual, is never to be contemplated as his God who saves him, but does all that he does, looking to salvation, only four and two men in the mass. Whether in dealing with the individual souls of men he visits with his saving grace few or many, so many that in our imagination they may readily pass into all, does not lie in the question so far as the principles of sovereignty and particularism are concerned there is no reason why a calvinist might not be a universalist in the most express meaning of that term holding that each and every human soul shall be saved and in point of fact some calvinists forgetful of scripture here have been universalists in this most express meaning of the term the point of insistence in calvinistic particularism is not that god saves out of the sinful mass of men only one here and there a few brands snatched from the burning but that god's method of saving men is to set upon them in his almighty grace to purchase them to himself by the precious blood of his son to visit them in the inmost core of their being by the creative operations of his spirit and himself the lord god almighty to save them how many up to the whole human race in all its representatives god has thus bought and will bring into eternal communion with himself by entering himself into personal communion with them lies i say quite outside the question of particularism universalism in this sense of the term and particularism are so little inconsistent with one another that it is only the particularist who can logically be this kind of universalist and something more needs to be said Calvinism, in point of fact, has as important a mission in preserving the true universalism of the gospel, for there is a true universalism of the gospel, as it has in preserving the true particularism of grace. The same insistence upon the supernaturalistic and the evangelical principles, that salvation is from God, and from God alone, and that God saves the soul by dealing directly with it in His grace, which makes the Calvinist a particularist, makes him also a universalist in the scriptural sense of the word. In other words, the sovereignty of God lays the sole foundation for a living assurance of the salvation of the world. It is but a spurious universalism which the so-called universalistic systems offer, a universalism not of salvation, but, at the most, of what is called the opportunity, the chance of salvation. But what assurance can a universal opportunity, or a universal chance of salvation, if we dare use such words, give you that all, that many, that any indeed will be saved? This universal opportunity, chance of salvation, has, after two thousand years, been taken advantage of only by a pitiable minority of those to whom it has been supposed to be given, what reason is there to believe that though the world should continue in existence for ten billions of billions of years any greater approximation to a completely saved world will be reached than meets our eyes today, when christianity even in its nominal form has conquered to itself i do not say merely a moiety of the human race but i say merely a moiety of those to whom it has been preached if you wish as you lift your eyes to the far horizon of the future to see looming on the edge of time the glory of a saved world you can find warrant for so great a vision only in the high principles that it is god and god alone who saves men that all their salvation is from him and that in his own good time and way he will bring the world in its entirety to the feet of him whom he has not hesitated to present to our adoring love not merely as the saviour of our own souls but as the saviour of the world and of whom he has himself declared that he has made propitiation not for our sins only but for the sins of the world calvinism thus is the guardian not only of the particularism which assures me that god the lord is the saviour of my soul but equally of the universalism by which I am assured that he is also the true and actual saviour of the world. On no other ground can any assurance be had either of the one or of the other, but on this ground we can be assured with an assurance which is without flaw, that not only shall there be saved the individual whom God visits with his saving grace, but also the world which he enters with his saving purpose, and all the length and breadth of it. The redemption of Christ, if it is to be worthily viewed, must be looked at not merely individualistically, but also in its social, or better, in its cosmical relations. Men are not discrete particles standing off from one another as mutually isolated units. They are members of an organism, the human race, and this race itself is an element in a greater organism which is significantly termed a universe of course the plan of salvation as it lies in the divine mind cannot be supposed to be concerned therefore alone with individuals as such it of necessity has its relations with the greater unities into which these individuals enter as elements we have only partially understood the redemption in christ therefore when we have thought of it only in its modes of operation and effects on the individual we must ask also how and what it works in the organism of the human race and what its effects are in the greater organism of the universe. Jesus Christ came to save men, but he did not come to save men each as a whole in himself, out of relation to all other men. In saving men he came to save mankind, and therefore the scriptures are insistent that he came to save the world, and ascribe to him accordingly the great title of the Saviour of the world. They go indeed further than this. They do not pause in expanding their outlook until they proclaim that it was the good pleasure of God to sum up all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things on the earth. We have not done justice to the biblical doctrine of the plan of salvation, therefore, so long as we confine our attention to the modes of the divine operation in saving the individual and insist accordingly on what we have called its particularism. There is a wider prospect on which we must feast our eyes if we are to view the whole land of salvation. It was because God loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. It was for the sins of the world that Jesus Christ made propitiation. It was the world which he came to save. It is nothing less than the world that shall be saved by him. What is chiefly of importance for us to bear in mind here is that God's plan is to save, whether the individual or the world, by process no doubt the whole salvation of the individual sinner is already accomplished on the cross but the sinner enters into the full enjoyment of this accomplished salvation only by stages and in the course of time redeemed by christ regenerated by the holy spirit justified through faith received into the very household of god as his sons led by the spirit into the flowering and fruiting activities of the new life our salvation is still only in process and not yet complete We still are the prey of temptation, we still fall into sin, we still suffer sickness, sorrow and death itself. Our redeemed bodies can hope for nothing but to wear out in weakness and to break down in decay in the grave. Our redeemed souls only slowly enter into their heritage. Only when the last trump shall sound and we shall rise from our graves and perfected souls and incorruptible bodies shall together enter into the glory prepared for God's children is salvation complete." THE REDEMPTION OF THE WORLD IS SIMILARLY A PROCESS. IT, TOO, HAS ITS STAGES. IT, TOO, ADVANCES ONLY GRADUALLY TO ITS COMPLETION. BUT IT, TOO, WILL ULTIMATELY BE COMPLETE, AND THEN WE SHALL SEE A wholly SAVED WORLD. OF COURSE IT FOLLOWS THAT AT ANY STAGE OF THE PROCESS, SHORT OF COMPLETENESS, THE WORLD, AS THE INDIVIDUAL, MUST PRESENT ITSELF TO OBSERVATION AS INCOMPLETELY SAVED. We can no more object the incompleteness of the salvation of the world today to the completeness of the salvation of the world than we can object the incompleteness of our personal salvation today, the remainders of sin in us, the weakness and death of our bodies, to the completeness of our personal salvation. Everything in its own order, first the seed, then the blade, then the full corn in the ear. And as, when Christ comes, we shall each of us be like him when we shall see him as he is so also when christ comes it will be to a fully saved world and there shall be a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness it does not concern us at the moment to enumerate the stages through which the world must pass to its complete redemption we do not ask how long the process will be we make no inquiry into the means by which its complete redemption shall be brought about these are topics which belong to eschatology and even the lightest allusion to them here would carry us beyond the scope of our present task what concerns us now is only to make sure that the world will be completely saved and that the accomplishment of this result through a long process passing through many stages with the involved incompleteness of the world's salvation through extended ages introduces no difficulty to thought this incompleteness of the world's salvation through numerous generations involves of course the loss of many souls in the course of the long process through which the world advances to its salvation and therefore the biblical doctrine of the salvation of the world is not universalism in the common sense of that term it does not mean that all men without exception are saved Many men are inevitably lost throughout the whole course of the advance of the world to its complete salvation, just as the salvation of the individual by process means that much service is lost to Christ through all these lean years of incomplete salvation. But as in the one case, so in the other, the end is attained at last. There is a completely saved man and there is a completely saved world. This may possibly be expressed by saying that the scriptures teach an eschatological universalism, not an each and every universalism. When the scriptures say that Christ came to save the world, that he does save the world and that the world shall be saved by him, they do not mean that there is no human being whom he did not come to save, whom he does not save, who is not saved by him. They mean that he came to save and does save the human race, and the human race is being led by God into a racial salvation, that in the age-long development of the race of men, it will attain at last to a complete salvation, and our eyes will be greeted with the glorious spectacle of a saved world. Thus the human race attains the goal for which it was created, and sin does not snatch it out of God's hands. The primal purpose of God with it is fulfilled, and... Through Christ, the race of men, though fallen into sin, is recovered to God and fulfils its original destiny. Now it cannot be imagined that the development of the race to this, its destined end, is a matter of chance, or is committed to the uncertainties of its own determination. Were that so, no salvation would or could lie before it as its assured goal. The goal to which the race is advancing is set by God, it is salvation. It is salvation and every stage in the advance to this goal is of course determined by god the progress of the race is in other words a god determined progress to a god determined end that being true every detail in every moment of the life of the race is god determined and is a stage in its god determined advance to its god determined end christ has been made in very truth head over all things for his church and all that befalls his church, everything his church is at every moment of its existence, every fortune, as we absurdly call it, through which his church passes, is appointed by him. The rate of the church's progress to its goal of perfection, the nature of its progress, the particular individuals who are brought into it through every stage of its progress, all this is in his divine hands. The Lord adds to the church daily such as are being saved, and it is through the divine government of these things which is in short the leading onward of the race to salvation that the great goal is at last attained to say this is of course already to say election and reprobation there is no antinomy therefore in saying that christ died for his people and that christ died for the world his people may be few to-day the world will be his people to-morrow but it must be punctually observed that unless it is christ who not opens the way of salvation to all, but actually saves his people, there is no ground to believe that there ever will be a saved world. The salvation of the world is absolutely dependent, as is the salvation of the individual's soul, on its salvation being the sole work of the Lord Christ himself, in his irresistible might. It is only the Calvinist that has warrant to believe in the salvation, whether of the individual or of the world. Both alike rest utterly on the sovereign grace of God. All other ground is shifting sand. End of chapter 5 End of The Plan of Salvation by B.B. Warfield